Thursday we gather someplace for Thanksgiving meal, turkey and dressing and macaroni and cheese and green bean casserole, sweet tea, chocolate pie and coconut pie and pound cake and somebody always brings something from Sam's. What a wonderful thing we have is called Thanksgiving. Before I, we get into the message today, and you're welcome to turn with me to Luke chapter 17, I want to tell you a story that so often either we have forgotten or one that we never knew. It's November 21st, 1620, when a group of 102 passengers got onto a ship called the Mayflower. They called themselves the Pilgrims, and they came to a new land. They end up in Cape Cod, and the women and children stay on the boat, while the men go ashore, and as they get into the interior of Cape Cod, the Native Americans come out and begin to fire at them, and they run for their lives. They get back on the Mayflower, and they sit. They write the Mayflower Compact, which is a new form of government, and winter begins to set in, and they know they must have a place where they can go and find safety. So they travel south a bit, and they come to a place called Plymouth. The men go ashore to see the safety of Plymouth, and they find the place to be relatively untouched, safe. Winter is setting in. It's beginning to get cold. And so they go ashore, but they have no idea how to fish, how to hunt, how to grow crops. It's dead of winter. It's a New England winter, and snow and ice and Temperatures below freezing comes plummeting in, and the people's lives begin to be lost. In a matter of a few weeks, they go from 110 pilg- 102 pilgrims down to 53. Half of the pilgrims die within the first two months. They don't know how they're going to survive, and so things become desperate. With very little to eat, and more and more people getting sick, they call out to God all the more. They make it through December, and January, February, and it starts to come into March, when they hear a rustling in the woods. This is all documented. And they think to themselves, this is not good, we finally made it through the winter, it's still cold, we don't know how we're going to survive, we need help from God, and here comes... Native Americans to attack us again. And so they begin to grab their muskets and load them fervently to shoot back at the Native Americans to protect themselves, this small group of 53 people. It's about equivalent to those sitting right here just in the middle. And about that time, a Native American named Somerset walks out of the woods and sticks out his hand in American fashion to say hello, and he shakes their hand and he speaks broken English. He had learned English from 
traders who had come from the northern part of Europe over into Cape Cod and Maine and that whole area of northern New England as fur traders, and he had learned some English because he was a trader. And he says, I want you to meet someone. And so he goes and he gets a new person who walks into the scene, and as these people are thinking, as the pilgrims are thinking, are they going to come back? Is he going to get more Native Americans? And he spied us out to see how weak we are so that he can come and kill us and, 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 and get rid of us and run us out of their land. But instead, out came a man named Squanto. And to their great surprise, Squanto sticks out his hand And he says, hello, I'm Squanto. And he begins to speak to them in absolute perfect British English. Now, where does a Native American learn perfect British English? Squanto sits down with William Bradford, who's, by the way, his wife had either committed suicide or drowned. And they begin to talk, and Squanto says, I want to tell you a story. He said, where we are right now, Plymouth, was my home when I was a boy. He said, a French trader came and he took me at the age of 12 to France and sold me as a slave. He said, some Catholic monks, friars in fact, bought me out of slavery because they didn't want me to serve as a slave. And they took me to England, specifically London, and I became affiliated with a family of a man named Mr. Slaney. One of them in the pilgrims group says, I know Mr. Slaney. He's a shipbuilder. He said, well, I lived with Mr. Slaney for about four to five years, and he taught me English. He taught me the British way of life. But I wanted to come home, and so Mr. Slaney let me board one of his ships, and I came back home to meet my family in Plymouth two years before. And when I got there, all I found were bones because every one of my relatives and everyone in my tribe had died from a disease, most likely smallpox. But I remembered as a boy of where to fish and where to hunt, and I began to survive after I mourned for many, many days over the loss of my family, and I didn't know where to go, so I went interior, and I became a part of the Waccamaw Indian tribes. This is my friend Somerset, and they took me in. He said he came now, and he said that there's British people in my old home, and now I come to say say hello to you and welcome And I want to show you where I fished as a boy. I want to show you how to grow crops. I want to show you how to hunt deer. And Squanto, in perfect English, taught William Bradford and the 52 others how to survive and how to build a home in his old home where his family had died. Isn't that an amazing story? Squanto lived with them for the remainder of his life. In fact, when he died, he called for William Bradford to come as he was on his deathbed, and William Bradford went over. And this is what Bradford wrote in his journal. He said, Squanto never left us till he died. He said, my Indian friend desired the governor to pray for him that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. 
Chuck Colson said, in reading this story, he said, Who but God could so miraculously convert a lonely Indian and then use him to save a struggling band of Englishmen? It is reminiscent of the biblical story of Joseph, who was also sold into slavery and whom God likewise used as a special instrument for good. After they survived the, and grew crops and had a bountiful harvest, that next December, the Waccamaw Indians, Wamatok Indians, I believe it is, and the 53 pilgrims came together, and they had lobster, oysters, had to be oyster dressing, <laughs> deer and turkey in their crops, and they play the, the kids wrestled together, and they had foot races together and sack races together, and they had a day together playing sports and having fun and talking between each other and having a huge feast. And they also took time to give God thanks for his bountiful harvest. As Paul Harvey says, now you know the rest of the story. Every bit of that's documented in the part of our American history. So on Thursday, don't just gather to eat turkey and cornbread dressing. Remember God's provision to a lonely Indian named Squanto, to a scared group of people called the Pilgrims, and how God provided at the exact time that they needed something. They needed help, and Squanto shows up. It's an amazing, miraculous story that's a part of our American history. How many of y'all have ever heard that story? How many of you have never heard that story? See that? Look around. Isn't that amazing? Now you know the story. So on Thursday, with your family or friends or whomever, you can go read that story. In fact, you can go to my website. I've got it on my website. And, um, and you can go read that story to them. Say, let me read the real story of Thanksgiving. It'll take three minutes to do it. And give God glory and praise. Now, in Luke 17, we see ten others who God greatly touched, and one who did something very special. And I want to share with you today about the one who gives thanks. And you know, the Scripture is not just written for historical sake or for us to know a story or know more about God. Certainly that's important. But the Scripture is there for us to learn from what other people have done so that we can apply that to our lives on how to worship Jesus Christ, how to praise God, how to, how to know Him at a deeper level. And in Luke 17, it's a story that most of you probably know, but I want us to take a look, and I want us to learn from this one man on how to authentically give God thanks. Luke 17, verse 11. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that Jesus passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there, were, there he met ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Now, as you might recall, if you had leprosy, you couldn't be a part of the regular populace of society. You had to stay a certain number of yards away, and you always had to be where the wind wasn't blowing from you to the populace of people. And so here's these ten lepers, and their skin is, is oozing out. They've got, their, their skin has become almost white-like, 
and they have leprosy. And they're together as this ten group of people. And they see Jesus and they see an opportunity. And there in verse 13, it says, They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, Jesus said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, it's interesting, and I don't want to go into this part of it because this isn't really our focus today. But when we need God in our life, when we need Jesus to do something in our life, we, just as they did, we call out to Jesus to have mercy upon us. But then when the Lord tells us what to do, as they did here, as he did here, we must be obedient to what the Lord calls us to do, or what he wants us to do. Now you might say, well, did he heal, heal these guys instantaneously? No, he told them, go to the priest. Now the reason he told them to go to the priest is because if you had leprosy, and you were healed of leprosy, you had to go over to the priest and say, here I am, I'm physically fit, I'm healthy again, I, do not, I no longer have leprosy. And they would take a document, and they would sign the document that you were now healed, which meant that you could go back in with the regular population of people. You could go back and live in your home. You could go back and live with your family. You could go back and eat at the table with your friends. So the priest had to sign off. And so what Jesus said to them was, go show yourself to the priest. And what did they do? So it was that as they went... They were cleansed. In other words, sometimes Jesus heals us instantly, and sometimes it's as we go through life that he heals us. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, regardless of what you might have or don't have, one day all of us will be completely healed from head to toe and put into a miraculous new body in a place called heaven before a Savior named Jesus. So every one of us in this place today understands the healing of God. But here they are, it took time for healing. Just like Brother Fred, it takes time. Brother Ed, it takes time. Other people get miraculously healed in an instant. That happened to me when I was 14 years old of a blood clot in my brain. I've shared that story with you before. Where it was there, then it was gone. Now, here's what I want us to look at, though, because this is the real The, the, for this morning's sake, the most important part that I want us to see. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed. Now, how many did God heal? All ten. But for whatever reason, nine of them decided to go immediately back to their family or their friends or their homes or they became a part of society again. But one does something different. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, it says, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, so Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The literal Greek of that is, Arise, go your way. Your faith has saved you. 
Now, let me give you four principles on how to give Jesus thanks. And this needs to be a part of a, a, a habit in our mind where every day we do these four aspects. If we will do these four and we can learn from this guy, because Jesus obviously uh, was honored by and gave approval to the way that this guy gave him thanks. First off is this. Verse 15. When he saw that he was healed, he returned. Jesus said, where were the other nine? Well, the other nine, we don't know. I mean, did they go back? They probably were so excited about being healed, so excited about the priest signing off that they could go home, that they went right back. And while they received the blessings of Jesus, they forgot to give him thanks. And I think about my own life today, and I bet you could think of your own life, of how often Jesus does things for us every day. And we move right back, or we're so excited to tell other people about what we've experienced that we go through life, and we might even say, look what Jesus did, but we never give him thanks for what he did. And so this guy returned to Jesus. That's the first point that we must understand today is to give God adequate thanks, we must seek him out. And this guy took the initiative for the first thing that he did is that he sought Christ back out. He returned to Jesus. And he comes to him, and for all of us, we know Matthew 6 says, Seek, and you will what? Find. We know in Colossians, I read it as a part of our prayer time, Colossians 3.1, it says, Seek those things that are above. And we must seek out the living God, on a regular basis. And for us to give adequate attention and adequate gratitude to a living Savior, we cannot do it apart from first finding Him and seeking Him and coming into His presence. That's why it's important for us in a world like the other nine who were healed also by the same Savior in the same way, We must not be like what the world does or what most Christians even do of where we move along in our life and we are excited about what's happened, but we move along and we never go back to seek Jesus on a daily basis simply to say thanks. I certainly think that our prayer, God wants us to call out to him in our prayers and ask him for things. He instructs us to do that. But as Philippians teaches us, we must give him prayers with what? Thanksgiving. It's critical. But you know, I was thinking about these guys. When they were a leper, Do you think they wanted to hang out with the other nine who had leprosy? It's amazing when circumstances come into our life how we find other people that's like us. Whether that be sin or sickness or whatever. But think about these guys. They couldn't be with their families any longer. They're standing afar off from everyone else. They're desperate. 
They're in pain. They have agony. They're lonely. They're scared. They're hopeless. Until Jesus comes. If you and I would be honest with ourselves and really cognitively think about it and take the time for a moment just to think about it, we're not much different than the lepers. It's just in a different way. How often we find ourselves lonely, feeling afar off, where we're hurt, maybe in shame, where we have agony, where we have desperation, where we feel sometimes as an outcast, like we don't fit in with everyone else. If we were honest with ourselves, we would look at our own life of sin, and especially before salvation, and we would see, can you imagine where you would be if you had not found Jesus? If Jesus wouldn't have saved you, where would you be right now? Some of you, I know, you would say, I'd be dead. Some of you would say, well, you know what? I would be so far from, uh, from God. I, I, would, but I was a miserable place I was then. Think about where you would be if, you didn't have, if Jesus wouldn't have saved you. The loneliness, the misery, the agony. And y'all, today, it's such a simple message. Of sometimes we don't dwell on our past, but certainly we think about where we were and where Jesus saved us from. And so one thing that we give him thanks is our own salvation. Another is we thank him for where we could be or could have been and we're not. And we give him thanks for saving us out of our situation. You know, some of you are in situations you never dreamed you never desired or never sought after or never wanted. It just, you're in the mix. You're, you're in the mess. Reminds me of a guy who was a, this is out in Texas. He was a multi, multi-millionaire. Oil tycoon. And people, you know, if you knew this guy, you, you it's kind of like, you really knew someone, and he was very powerful of a man. He had a party at his home, and he had his guest list, and he invited all these people to his house, and they came over, and they all met out by his pool. He had a huge pool in the back of his house. And he gets back there in this pool, and the people are standing around, and the pool he had filled with sharks. I mean, the pool is teeming with sharks. And they're circling all around, and this oil tycoon, this multimillionaire, in his arrogance, stood up in front of everyone. He said, here's why I've gathered you tonight. He said, the first one who can swim from one end of the pool to the other end of the pool, and you survive, I will give either one of three things. I will give you a million dollars. I'll give you one of my million-dollar estates, or I'll give you a million dollars of stock in my company. Well, he hadn't even finished the third option. About that time, a guy splash, and he swims to the other end as fast as he can. I mean, the record time. 
Michael Phelps like. And he gets out of the pool and he climbs out, he's wet, and to everyone's great surprise, he's made it. And who would even think of such, of doing, taking on this challenge? And the oil man comes over and he says, I have to say, I never dreamed anyone would attempt this. And the man's bent over and he's breathing hard from swimming the distance of the pool. He says, well, I have to keep my word. You want a million dollars? You want a million dollars in stock? Or you want one of my million dollar estates? And the man is standing there and he's breathing hard and he said, uh, Sir, I don't care about the million dollars. I just want to know who pushed me into that pool. <laughs> Sometimes in life, we get pushed into the pool teeming with sharks, and we don't even know how we got there or who pushed us into the place, but we know it's not fun. And sometimes we might even cognitively know there's a reward on the other end, but that doesn't mean we want to jump into the pool with the sharks to get it. And all the simple truth is, in life, we know sometimes things happen and we don't understand why they happen, but when they do happen, either we can give thanks in the midst of that storm, or we can be, live in agony and feel sorry for ourselves and don't understand, and all of this stuff, and it begins to snowball out of control. You see, our minds and our attitudes determine a whole lot about life, doesn't it? Think about Ed Keys. gives a brilliant, anointed song, did it God's way. By the next Sunday, he's over there in the hospital. Life throws us difficulties and curveballs, and a lot of times we strike out in the midst, but the bottom line is this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the bottom line is, if we believe in His, and we have faith in Him yesterday to save us from where we came from, and we have faith today, then no matter what happens tomorrow, He's still the same God, and we have to believe that. Now, what this guy did is that he first, he sought out the Lord. Number two, look what it says. He returned, and with a loud voice, he glorified God. He didn't meekly say, Jesus, thanks. No, instead, he loudly said. You see, when God does a great work in our hearts, it gives us a great boldness of spirit. It gives us a great boldness of voice. That's how come... You know, evangelism, for instance, it's not a program. It's not going to learn some kind of track and how to share it. Evangelism is simply sharing with other people what God has done in your life. It's not containing it. It's not holding it back. It's simply you saying to other people, you know what, let me tell you what Jesus just did in my life. Let me tell you how God saved me. Let me tell you what God took me from. And it's not just your salvation experience. It's every day of life. So I can ask you today, tell me what Jesus has done for you this morning. And every one of us has something that we could say now we might not think like that because we're programmed to not think that way the world around us is so negative based on circumstances and life is tough so circumstances are real and sometimes we get pushed into the pool when we don't want to be in the pool but I'm telling you in the midst if you want to overcome your obstacles the key ingredient to it all is simply to have a mind that's fixed on Jesus where you say thanks to him and this guy glorifies Jesus, so he returns, he seeks out the Lord. Then, number two, he glorified God verbally 
That's with his mind. It took a mental capacity to do that. He sought out the Lord, which is a physical means of finding Jesus. And then third, look at this, 16. And he fell down on his face at his feet. He surrendered to Jesus. He acknowledged, you're Lord and I am not. You healed me and I couldn't heal myself. And what that is, is the soul, that's the spirit, surrendering itself over to Jesus to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. That's the spirit. And number four, simple, giving him thanks. That was from his heart. Now, when I wrote those four down, look at this again. This is deep. He seeks out the Lord, which is physical, to get there. He glorifies God verbally, which is the mind, cognitively saying, Lord, thank you. He falls at Jesus' feet in surrender, which is the soul, surrendering he is God and I am not. And he gives God thanks with his heart. Didn't Jesus teach us to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And that is what this guy did. Isn't that neat? You see, he doesn't want us just to worship him on Sunday morning. He doesn't want us just to worship him or say, thank you, Lord, with our mind or just our heart. He wants us to worship him and to give him thanks with all of our being, which is Romans 12, 1. Offer your body a living sacrifice. That's everything from head to toe. Saying thanks, Jesus. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to stay in that place. I think I've shared this before here. I I know I did on a Wednesday night, but I love this story, and I share it a lot, especially to the educators when I go and talk, but it's worthy of sharing again. It's a funny story. My parents have taken on the Internet and email, now Facebook. My daddy's 73. My mother, I will not tell her age. Beautiful lady, if you have not met her. Beautiful, beautiful lady. So is my daddy, but my mama's prettier. Well, I was at my parents' house, and my dad was up on the Internet, and he was reading his emails, and he turned around, and he said, Jody, come here, I want you to see something. I said, well, all right. So I go up, and I sit to see what he's got going. And he says, what in the world's that? What's that mean? I'll show it to you on the screen. (laughs) He said, I keep having people write me an email, and they put that image on the screen, and I don't understand, are they cussing me out or what? And I looked, and I'm like, you can't see that? He said, I don't have any idea what that is. So I yell out to my mama. I said, Mama, come here. I want you to see something. So she comes, and she looks. And I said, what is that on that screen right there? And she goes, oh, well, I have no idea. And I said, all right, we're going to do a lesson then. Email 101. I said, on the count of three, we're all going to tilt our head to the left. Say one, two, three, and we 
all did our head like that. And my mother jumps up and she goes, oh, it's a smiley face. <laughs> my daddy goes, I still don't have any idea what that is. <laughs> you know, the truth is this, y'all. In life, when we get pulled, pushed into the pool, we forget, and sometimes we think, and we look at life, or we look at God, or we look at circumstances, or we look at whatever, and we say, even the best of us, is God cussing me out or what? Is life cussing me out or what? Why is this happening to me? How come I can't be like them? Look how good they, everything, nothing ever happens to that guy over there. Everything always happens to me. I want us to do something this morning that's important for us to know. As we give Jesus thanks. Put that back up, if you will, Melissa. All of us, every one of us, without exception, needs people in our lives who can come alongside of us when circumstances are bleak and simply say, hey, look, tilt your head a little bit and see it a little different. Maybe God's smiling at you. Yeah, you had leprosy, but Jesus came along and saved you. Now you can go minister to the other lepers. Yes, you have this disease, but Jesus is there with you in the midst of it. He's your healer. Yes, you're in pain, but look at what Jesus is doing in and through that pain. Yes, you ended up getting divorced, but God is still with you, and he'll carry you through. Yes, you've had financial troubles, but God is still your provider. And you may not have as much as you had last year, but you still are surviving here today. You see, whatever we face and whatever adversity that we encounter, sometimes all of us, I don't care who you are, need someone to come along and say, just tilt your head a little bit to the left, and you'll see that Jesus Christ is still smiling at you. Some of you know I'm the chaplain over at the Sheriff's Department, Sheriff's Office in Baldwin County. I have a badge and all, no gun. I don't know what he expects for me to throw bullets at somebody. I don't know. I guess just pray, right? I signed up to be a chaplain, by the way. He said, can you help us rewrite our program? I said, yeah, Sheriff, I'll be glad to do that. So I signed up and help him rewrite the program. Next thing I know, well, you'll be, a, you'll be a chaplain for us, right? I'm like, well, if that's what you want me to do, sure. Next thing I know, I'm like, all I got to do is pray, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next thing I know, I'm literally learning how to hide behind a car to keep from getting shot in a shootout. I'm like, I, I thought I was praying, man. Now I'm dodging bullets. Supposed to get our bulletproof jackets here in two weeks. I'm not excited about it because bulletproof jackets, I don't want to be where I need one. But the sheriff asked me to come and, and do a leadership thing with his command staff, and I told this story, and they laughed just as you did, and we got done, and the sheriff looked at them. He said, guys, there's a truth today, and from now on, when I say tilt your head, you'll know what I mean. All of us need someone in our lives who will help us Change our perspective just a little bit. People who love you enough to speak truth into your life. And as husbands and wives, if you're married, it's easy to feed negative into negative off of each other, and the next thing you know, you both of you are negative. And you need each other to help you say, simply tilt your head and see that God's still smiling on us.
God still loves us and God's still faithful and God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore and that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God will see us through. Yo, I know this works and let me tell you why as I close. Back in some of my loneliest day that I've referred to in the past, I found myself looking at my circumstances and not having any hope. And I felt stuck. And when you feel stuck, that's where your hope begins to wane. Because you want out and you don't see how you can get out. And next thing you know, darkness begins to just become over you. And then your mind begins so fixated on the problem that the problem becomes bigger than you are. And then you don't have a shot. Well, being in ministry, I didn't allow anyone into my life to say to me, tilt your head and you'll see things different. Because after all, in ministry, you're not supposed to battle any of these things that I was having to battle with. And after all, when you're in ministry and some of these things you battle with, if marriage ends or this happens or that happens, so often, unfortunately... The church kicks you to the curb and says, God will help you. Or they say, if you're spiritual enough, you wouldn't be battling thoughts of depression. Or if you just put Jesus in the middle of your marriage, your marriage will be fine. Or, you know, if if you would just pray more, everything will be better. I couldn't pray anymore. I prayed myself to sleep every night. But what I did is I didn't allow people into my life where I could be honest enough that I could share my circumstances. Instead, I saw that as an image of cussing me, and that's my plight in life, instead of someone coming along and simply saying, you know what, tilt your head and see it different. God will see you through. So I buried my situation instead of bringing in the light. And what is in darkness can never be healed. Only what is brought into the light can be healed. And so I had fallen into this time of depression for days. I mean, some of y'all been there. You cry at the drop of anything. You're going down the road and your mind begins to think about this. And you begin to cry because you don't think there's any hope. And you don't know what to do. And then your, your body physiologically gets all out of whack from this. And it goes on and on and on. And I was pastoring a church. And I remember we just moved into a new to a new church, and I thought that would be a new day, and it wasn't a new day. It's the same. We had this little apartment. We we're figuring out where to live, and I remember I couldn't my mind was so consumed by all of this and the darkness, and I remember going into this room filled with boxes. And I got down on my knees, and I began to cry out. And I cried out to God many a time, but this day was different because this is what I did different than all my other prayer times. On this day, I said, God, I choose to worship you and to thank you no matter where I am and no matter what I face. 
God, I'm not asking you any, for anything. I'm simply going to worship you in the midst of this storm. And I'm going to give you thanks regardless of what. And the Holy Spirit of God began to put that song of the potter's hand into my mind. And I began to sing that song, potter's hand. And as I began to sing that song of potter's hand with an attitude of gratitude and saying, thank you, Lord, for whatever I face, I know you're with me. And I began to fix my mind in thanksgiving to the Lord. I'm telling you, the weight came off of me in an instant. Now, I'm not saying that's how God does it every time because just like this story of the leper, sometimes it's as we go, God takes those things off of us. But I'm telling you, in reality, in the real confines of life, all of us need someone to help us see our perspective a little different. Jesus wants us to give him thanks no matter what. You say, is that for real? 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. So today, no matter what you face, no matter what you encounter, no matter where you are, no matter what you have or don't have, no matter what you could have been and wasn't, no matter what they have or they don't have, none of that really matters in life this morning. What matters in life today is us, each of us, individually, Making a choice like the one did. Only 10% is even probably going to do this today. But like this one did, who says, I'm going to seek out the Jesus. I'm going to kneel before him. And I'm going to simply say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. And that honors Jesus. And that today is what I'm inviting you to do. Is to ask the Lord to change your perspective And what I'm advocating to you is, maybe, just maybe, I can be the one today who can say, look at a little different. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Do you hear me? Do you believe it? It's going to be okay. You're in the potter's hand. 